0: Where woke goes to die. Really? Welcome to The Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock, and he's Jeremy Wallace. I'm reporting from Dallas today, and he is in Houston. You can find me at quorumreport.com. And Jeremy, of course, uh, he has his work there at houstonchronicle.com and expressnews.com all the time. Uh, You're in H-Town, Jeremy. And I was going to say that we are spanning the state all all along the I-45 corridor to cover the appearances of Ron DeSantis, who is, I guess, other than Trump, he's the guy to beat for president right now, right?
1: Yeah, and talk about a big get for both these,
0: you know, areas for
1: Republicans. They're getting really the number one challenger to Donald Trump at the height of probably his poll numbers. Mm. And with a new book out, you know, this all the you know the speculation is about as high as I've ever seen it with this guy. Mm. So it's kind of great to kind of get a firsthand look at this guy in a Texas atmosphere to see what he has to say here.
0: A lot of the headlines seem to suggest that uh, this is something that should upset Governor Abbott, it's like DeSantis is on uh, Abbott's turf, if you will. Uh, What was the mood like last night at the Harris County uh, GOP dinner? Yeah, it, it was
1: huge crowd. Fifteen hundred people, and they got o- over a million bucks out of this thing. So clearly, it was a big fundraiser for them. Uh, you know, I, 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 you know, I'm I'm not going with the rest of the media on this one. I I didn't see this as much of a Abbott versus DeSantis thing. Look, DeSantis mm-hmm. has bigger fish to fry right now. Uh, yeah. He's trying to get a national head of steam going. This isn't about Greg Abbott right now. He didn't mention Greg Abbott in his uh, anywhere in his speech but he talked a lot about like working with texas and things like that so i, I you know I, I thought some of the the play on that was a little over the top um but hey what do i know
0: <laughs> well uh, you know and i think it, to the point of uh, DeSantis having bigger fish to fry i probably would have a uh, bigger fish than someone who is polling at the same level as liz cheney In a Republican (laughs) primary nationally right now, that's where Abbott is. What was this thing that DeSantis was talking about with the Alamo and, uh, you know, wokeness and all of that? Yeah, absolutely. So
1: this this was like, uh, it sounded like he was marshalling troops. Uh, to go into battle, is what it sounded like at this thing, and I, I reflected that in our story today. But uh, what what happened is, I like, he started talking about the Alamo right out the bat. You know, well, mm-hmm. you know, later on in the speech, he really got into it. Uh, he started, you know, reading William Travis's letter at the Alamo when they were surrounded by all the uh, Mexican army and outnumbered, uh, and they wanted them to surrender. And he said, "No, we're, you know, we're we're never going to retreat. We're never going to surrender." That's kind of where you know. Ron DeSantis then picks up the story and why it reflects what he's doing today.
0: Well, yeah. And this was the big applause line there. Uh, he said, you know, when it comes to Florida and it comes to Texas, uh, both states are really sticking it to the federal government and, in a larger sense, sticking it to the liberals.
2: We will never, ever surrender to the woke mob.
0: Well, that was the big applause line, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, it definitely was. You could tell that everybody was waiting for the references to woke. And boy, if you had a drinking game as to how you know you have to drink every time you, you know, he said right. the word woke, you would be flat drunk. <laughs> they'd be gra- they'd be dragging you out of that room.
0: <laughs> Amazing. Uh, now, of course, Abbott still wants to be in the mix uh, nationally, and one of the ways in which he is definitely doing that, he's gotten some national headlines about this and some other things as well. Uh, this question of diversity. Uh, and uh, inclusion and uh, equity, DEI, I'm screwing up the order, but the DEI, as we have said, is the new CRT, right? And you sat with Abbott Uh, I guess was this in in uh, in his office in Austin?
1: Yeah, I I had an interview with him. You know, and I'll just set it up like this way that uh, so DeSantis actually brings this issue up last night. You know, he started talking about DEI and what he thinks the state needs to do, and this is a rare occasion. You know, uh, we've joked about having the Ron Greg meter here before, Mm -hmm. uh, but this is a case where maybe yeah, Greg Abbott may have gotten a little ahead of Ron on this. You know, because he's already like put pressure on. Uh, universities in texas to retreat all on their own and right. DeSantis, you know says what he's going to do with the florida legislature next week is to really push them to get rid of dei at all universities right. abbott may be kind of getting ahead of him on this but you know so you know, that, that kind of sets up where we were and you know, you know why i was talking to greg mm-hmm. abbott about this issue in general
0: Yeah, this is what he said about his efforts to root out diversity, equity and inclusion at universities uh, in Texas.
1: What
2: we've seen in our universities is DEI practices that are
1: there for political purposes, advancing political agendas, blanketed uh, with the perception that they are trying to protect diversity.
0: This is all about colleges and universities. I remember when this uh, letter was first reported on, Jeremy, you saw that uh, some folks were uh, you know, talking a lot about the state agencies that received this. But it, it was really a directive from Abbott's office uh, that I think legally there are some questions around exactly what Abbott's office was arguing, what they were saying. And it's interesting that the universities seem to be moving to uh, stop DEI in their hiring going forward. Right? But they, they haven't stopped with other things that they're doing about it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. This, this issue has always been about universities. I, I you know, I kind of recognize this right away. It's like the, the, the thing about the agencies was that Abbott was just kind of including that to kind of show that the universities that they're, they're, they're creatures. Of, you know the state government essentially so they, they cannot be they're not on their own they're not independent of the government and so I think he was trying to show that like look this you know everybody this applies to all of y'all including you guys on college campuses and so it was always directed at them and so and what you know it, it's the reactions have been different like at UT the UT system has said they're gonna pause future dei uh uh, efforts and mm-hmm. they're going to review what they currently have. A uh, and M and the University of Houston have been different. Yeah, you know, they have both. You know, said we're stopping. You know, we're stopping. You know, requiring DEI. Diversity statements in people's applications to get jobs here at these universities. So a little bit, there a lot of breaking news on this. So, so I really would. And I don't mean to kind of keep shilling for the Houston Chronicle, but yeah, you know, we have a lot of stuff on the website right now on mm-hmm. on this exclusive interview we had with him and what just happened at the University of Houston and at Texas A and M. Lots of stuff happening on this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, the governor who seems to be uh, trying to make himself at least an option in the race for the presidency. And you can see this across issues. Now, the DEI stuff, I would say, just like I would say on border stuff and, and opposition to Biden in general. And of course, we talked last week about how on DEI, as Abbott was ramping up his efforts against it, the Biden administration was trying to back up those who want, you know, support those uh, who want to promote DEI. So it's just sort of like direct conflict, right, between the administration here and the administration in Washington. The issue that I, and here's the thing, border, DEI, all this other stuff, you know, anti-CRT, to whatever it is, all of that is stuff that I think any Republican would do. But I'll say this again. The thing, the issue that makes me think that Abbott has presidential aspirations is school vouchers. And the reason for that is that it's such a third rail in Texas. It's such a heavy lift. The DEI stuff, that's easy, right? He just put out a memo. And look, the universities are doing what he said, or at least they're doing a version of what he said, right? They're trying to come into compliance. On school vouchers, this is a fight. And you actually talked to him about that a little bit in your uh, in your discussion, right? That this idea uh, that Governors Bush and Perry couldn't get it done, but Abbott has some sort of um, – he, he wants to prove himself on this. He, he wants to get a swagger about it, right?
1: Yeah, it was it was interesting. I said, you know, you know, George W. Bush and Rick Perry couldn't get this done and they put a lot of effort into it. You know, what makes you can th- you know get this done? And he says, the facts have changed. Since Bush and Perry, and like you could, there was a confidence in him on this, and I think by facts, what he means is that there's just kind of a national atmosphere right now because of what's happened in other states like Iowa and Arizona most Mm -hmm. recently, Uh, and uh, just the fact that like he thinks, you know, he expanded on this a little bit at the Texas Public Policy Foundation this week, where he talked about like you know parents were so upset coming out of covid-19 about all hmm. kinds of stuff with education that the atmosphere is right for challenging public schools and so i think right. that's what he's you know he's kind of banking on right now and he's you know really going to put a lot of pressure on this issue going forward
0: he said Isn't it interesting that the argument in favor of school choice, quote unquote, or vouchers um, right now, it seems like it has nothing to do with the quality of education and it has everything to do with either something ideological or the way in which COVID was handled, which look at every level of government, whether it was uh, the school districts, county governments, city governments, and the state government, they all had different approaches to this and all of them were controversial, right? With the school districts, it was really frustrating for parents because it impacted their day-to-day lives in a way that just hadn't happened before. Right, all of a sudden, the kids are at home, learning on the computer. As one uh, Republican um, uh, insider, if you will, in Austin, said it to me, he said, "Hey, you know what?" In a lot of cases, nothing really changed about education, except that parents were having to see in real time exactly the way that it happens. Like they were seeing a lot, a lot of the the way the sausage is made. What they go, wait, what did the teacher just say? I can't believe. So people would get angry about things, uh, and a lot of it was out of context and in the context of being frustrated because the kids are at home and not at school, right? So, yeah, that's a smart S- point. S- yeah, Steve Dial at Fox Four uh, here in DFW. He asked Abbott why rural Republicans would support it now? Kind of to the point you're making, like what is different? What facts are different? Two things are different.
1: Uh, one is we know for a fact uh, that uh, Republicans in particular, but really majority of all Texans, support this whether uh, you're in urban, suburban, or rural areas, uh, if you're black, white, or Hispanic, or Asian, uh, or if you're Republican, Democrat, or independent. Majorities of all those categories strongly support it. More than 80 percent. Republicans support this, including in the rural areas. And so in rural areas, if a Republican representative votes against this, they're actually voting against their own constituents.
0: One event after another has been held by Abbott in rural Texas, in Corsicana, which I'll get to in just a second, uh, in Conroe, which is Sort of rural. If you've been to Conroe lately, it's not the most rural place in the history of the world anymore. Any of these places right on the I-45 corridor, uh, you know, it's it's not way out in the country, right? Uh, In Amarillo, he was also there. At only one of those was the state representative for the area, um, you know, in attendance at the event. And even at that event, the state representative did not support the governor's ESA or voucher plan specifically. But Cody Harris, who represents uh, Anderson County and Navarro County, uh, he did talk a lot about uh, fighting the woke agenda, which is what seems to resonate with all these crowds, no matter where the governor is. Listen to what he said. And you mentioned his, you mentioned Abbott's deal at TPPF, the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Listen to what he said to that crowd about why parents are angry with school.
1: And other parents are even more angry about woke agendas being forced on their children
2: in schools let's be clear our
0: schools are for education not indoctrination Now, at that event, Abbott gets applause both for talking about vouchers and for fighting the woke ideology, right? But in Corsicana, where I was earlier this week, uh, he only got applause for one of those things, which was fighting against the woke agenda, not the deal about vouchers. Because, Jeremy, I think the people in rural Texas, for, for a lot of them, super nice people and they love the governor. I wouldn't say it you know, any different, uh, but I don't think they even know what he's talking about. When when he says education savings account, they might wonder if that's like a health savings account or something like that. It just just sort of falls on deaf. When he would say, "We need to have ESAs," and he pauses like it's an applause line, the audience just doesn't react. I don't think they're they're into it. They haven't been sold that just yet. But listen to the reaction from the crowd in Navarro County about fighting the woke liberals.
2: Our schools are for education, not indoctrination.
0: Exactly like what you heard at TPPF, right? It was almost verbatim. Now, in front of rural audiences, he says something that makes it sound like public schools will not lose any money. And listen to the reaction to that.
1: And to be clear,
2: under this school choice program that I'm talking about, all public schools will be fully funded for every student. Amen.
0: He gets an Amen from the crowd. I mean, they're really into that part of it. I don't think that part of it would get uh, an amen at Texas Public Policy Foundation, where Lieutenant Governor Patrick said that he doesn't care how many special sessions it takes. We have got to have school vouchers of school choice passed the legislature this year. Those parents deserve that parental right to make that choice for their child. And we should not leave here this year until we pass school choice. I don't care how many special sessions it takes. As one capital observer said, uh, of course, he doesn't care how many specials it takes. He doesn't have any plans for the summer. He doesn't, he's, you know, uh, Jeremy, th- this is a guy who thrives on being in the chair in the Texas Senate. He has nothing else to do when they're not in session or special sessions. Um, this deal about vouchers, has got me thinking about trying to help people understand what all this is, because as you have said, if you say voucher, most people don't know what you're talking about, right? If you say school choice, right, that's just a marketing term that was obviously focus group tested, and it it plays well with just about anybody. In fact, if you say uh, to people who are anti-voucher, ask them if they're for school choice, and a lot of them will say, well, yeah, but I want to know what you're talking about when you say it, right? I mean, there are a lot of people who say, hey, I'm fine with our robust charter school system. I'm fine with the fact that the HISD, for example, is a a district of choice. Uh, they, They like magnet schools and all that sort of stuff. And if you look at all of the different choice options there are in Texas, we have a pretty robust quote unquote school choice system already. The only thing that we lack in in that regard is a school voucher or ESA, education savings account. So what does it really mean to take money out of the public school system and give it to people and say, hey, you can do what you want with it. You put your kids in a private school or whatever. You do understand that the Republican Party of Texas position is that if a parent gets a school voucher, gets money from the state, that there should be, quote, no strings attached to how they spend it. So this was fascinating. I was uh, provided some audio from a meeting uh, this weekend at the state Republican Party uh, meetings that are being held uh, in Austin this weekend. Um, And what they do, Jeremy, is they have committees and subcommittees at the Republican Party of Texas, where they sit and they decide, they look at the bills that have been filed in the legislature, and they decide which ones the party should support, okay? And this audio, what you'll hear is some folks who have been appointed by the Republican Party of Texas to debate the bills and decide which bills the party will support, and this is really remarkable. There are some concerns here in this meeting that the voucher money could be used for things like abortions, big screen TVs, and whatever else because basically they're saying hey if you're just giving people cash with quote no strings attached they can do whatever they'd like with it
2: i talked to a guy from wisconsin today where they, they they've instituted school choice and and when they initiated the programs you could take the card to an atm and pull money out people were using the the debit cards those funds for abortions in wisconsin so do you know party, what i think, do you know what
0: is, I think is, about that i think that that's what? called freedom and if we're we going to truly,
1: if we're going to truly give free people freedom, if they want to go piss their money away
0: or use it on awful things like that, we can't control them. But freedom is freedom. You have to let people do. Yeah, that's what I think. You
2: think you think ESA funds should be used for, to allow abortions?
1: <clears throat> that's why? What why why are they we have to at some point give people the freedom to control? We can't control every aspect of their life, and if they're going to go take this money and go buy a big screen TV at Walmart,
2: not put their kids in school. I mean, we can't control. I mean, you know, there has to be some logic at some
1: point.
0: Now, that sounds a little outrageous that you would take money that's intended for education and use it to buy televisions at Walmart or use it for reproductive services or whatever else. Uh, But the woman there is correct when you say, look, logic has to apply at some point. If you're going to tell people that, hey, this is your money and you can do whatever you want with it, what will they do? Well, some people will just do whatever they want with it, right? I mean, they would. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't necessarily follow that they have to use it for education for the kid. Now, we have made the point here uh, previously, Jeremy, that if a person takes money from the state in the form of a school voucher and then tries to take it to a private school and get an education for their kid, most of the private schools, that most of the options they would have in Houston or Dallas and in places like um, Corsicana, or Amarillo, there wouldn't be very many options at all, at least not not presently. Uh, but if somebody's in one of these other places and they try to take their kid to a private school, the voucher, which would be somewhere between $5,000 to $6,000, doesn't cover the cost of tuition at almost any of these places, right? The, the school still needs an additional ten dollars to fifteen dollars to twenty five, dollars and in some cases, $30,000 for the tuition for the kids. So that would be a whole lot of big screens from Walmart, or well, the reason I'm bringing this, the reason I'm bringing this up, um, is because that is the natural discussion you're eventually going to have about this, right? What, what is it that people are missing? And here's the other thing: it's not a tax rebate, right? When you get the five thousand dollar voucher or the six thousand dollar voucher, whatever it is, it's not your money. Right. You didn't pay in that much. The average person did not pay in that much to the school finance system, you know, through their property taxes or sales taxes. Either they probably if you're talking about the state side of the money, that'd be sales taxes. Right. That's the num- number one revenue generator for the state. And the average person paid in on that something like maybe five to seven hundred dollars, something like that, which comes nowhere close to to the cost of educating a child in Texas, which is more like 13000 14000 something like that in public schools. And we still lag the rest of the country in a lot of ways in per-student funding. Uh, so you start taking money out of that to give people the $5,000. It's not your money. It's everybody's money is the point. It, it, it's everybody's money that you would then be taking out of the system. And as Abbott's own education agency admitted, as we played on the show previously, if you start taking that money out it means less teachers less resources for kids who are in public schools and we, according to some people at the Republican Party of Texas it does mean more flat screen TVs for somebody
1: well and, and i
0: i just had an epiphany
1: you know so it's not a voucher right you know because it's to pay for the full cost of you know private schools and it's not school choice because we already have school choice and this is a different thing You know what this is? This is a private school coupon. (laughs) You're getting a coupon you can clip from the state government that will give you like 30% off your next meal type thing. You know, that is what Mm -hmm. this is. So maybe that'll catch on. I'm not sure if that's been poll tested or, you know, focus group tested or anything like that, but I'm now going to start calling it a private school coupon system (laughs) that Governor Abbott and the Texas legislature are trying to give to parents who do want to go to private schools.
0: (laughs) You know, you have made the point that uh, the coupon, I'm writing that down. It's the school coupon, voucher coupon. Um, you have made the point that the governor's really putting his shoulder into this. And I think you're right. He's talking about it everywhere. He's trying to spend political capital on this. It, it, this is just my gut right now. I don't think he's doing it in a way that gets the bill passed. And if you look at the fact that the state representatives in Amarillo were not there for his event, the state representative from Conroe was not there. When Abbott did his event and the state representative for Corsicana, when he did do his event there, the the guy, you know, talked a lot about fighting the woke liberals, but he did not sign on to ESAs or vouchers. It tells me that he's not convincing the people he needs to convince. He may have some people out in the country now who think, okay, well, you know, the governor's plan sounds great. But here's what was so strange at that Corsicana event. Cody Harris introduced the governor, the state rep for the area. He, He introduced him. He sat right behind Abbott while Abbott was talking, and Abbott was telling the crowd to call their state representative and tell him to support his plan. I'm thinking, he's sitting right there. Why don't you just turn around and tell him? Even in that instance, even in that instance where the guy's right there, Abbott's not having the conversation with the state rep and saying, you should support my plan. Here are all the reasons. It tells me, you know, if you ask the folks in these other places, in Amarillo and Conroe and stuff, and you said, hey- do you not support the governor's plan? They're being very quiet about it, Jeremy. But I'm telling you, when it comes to the floor, if it gets there, those those are probably no votes. And the governor hasn't done anything to convince them that they need to vote for it. Um, and in the meantime, I think that most people, if they're calling uh, their state representatives, they're probably, and this is a, bit, you know, a problem with the messaging around it for Abbott, if they're calling, let's say, For Price or John Smithy, or Will Metcalf, any of the people who represent those areas that I'm talking about, the people making the calls are probably telling their state representative to support parental empowerment because that is what the message has been around all these events. Parental empowerment, which back to the point I made a couple of shows ago, was this education freedom idea, which that's the actual emergency item from Abbott, that, yeah, people support education freedom for sure. And ESAs and vouchers are only one of the items that Abbott listed under education freedom. So if voters are calling state reps and saying, hey, I support education freedom, well, that can mean a whole bunch of things to people. That can that can mean, uh, you know, uh, having a greater say in whether their student gets held back a grade, the things like that. Those thing those kinds of things are in Abbott's list under education freedom. It's just, he's not putting, and his team isn't putting the emphasis potentially in the right places and, and with the right people. And the other thing is, earlier this week, Uh, At quorumreport.com, I uh, wrote that Abbott's basically been MIA with the legislature for the entire session so far. For seven weeks, he was nowhere, right? He was kind of MIA after his inaugural. After that, he gave his state of the state in a bunker down in San Marcos, where people were asked to sign NDAs originally to even go to the thing and leave their cell phones out in their cars. Uh, and he's still not there at the legislature. Now he's on his voucher road tour, right? Uh, this this road show uh, is what he's is what he's doing now. And after I had said that, two days later, Abbott's office tweeted out images of him meeting with legislators. So <laughs> I don't I don't know if they're being used as props at that point but I'm not sure and based on who he was meeting with I'm not sure they had productive conversations about education savings accounts.
1: Well well as much as I've talked about uh, the Ron and Greg Meter, you know maybe this is a case where this should be the Greg and Kim Meter. Uh, and why I say that is th- you know, what he's doing is what Kim Reynolds Uh, did in iowa yeah i think he's seeing you know what she did was this you know she aggressively toured around the state and put pressure on you know conservative lawmakers everywhere there and it actually ended up working i think you know what abbott's doing okay if that worked you know i think he's probably getting advice that says you know you just got to pound the pavement you got to get the populace to kind of move these legislators but as you pointed out the question is i'm not sure if they're as movable as they are in a place like Iowa, so that's going to be the big key. It's like I think he's mimicking exactly what Kim Reynolds did, but I'm not sure if this is going to produce the same kind of result.
0: The difference, I think, is that Kim Reynolds did that cycle after cycle for a while during campaigns, and you know, punished uh, Republican members in Iowa who didn't support what she wanted to do on school choice. Um, and I would say to the governor, and I wrote a version of this this week, maybe the time to campaign for school vouchers would have been. During the campaign, during the general election, when basically Abbott and Patrick never talked about vouchers at all. They talked about it some during the primary. But during the general election, you remember yep. this, Jeremy, they didn't talk about vouchers except to assure rural Texas that it wouldn't hurt them. It's it correct. wouldn't hurt their schools. That's the only thing they ever said about it. Uh, not a great sales job so far. That doesn't mean and I'll, I'll I'll, you know, add this word of caution for the public education supporters out there. It's not that the governor can't get there. I'm just not convinced yet that he's doing the things he would need to do to actually get a majority uh, of votes in the Texas House of Representatives. Or at this point, and I'll throw this out there as well, or even in the Texas Senate. Remember that Lieutenant Governor Patrick originally said that rural areas would be exempt from a voucher program if it passes the Senate, but then he reversed himself on that. And by my math at this point, if he sticks with that as the proposal – he probably has as as many as three Republican no-votes on vouchers in the Senate. We will keep a close eye on that. Um, I do want to mention it because I think they deserve uh, every time we can mention what's going on with them, Jeremy. The Uvalde families were at the Capitol this week, and they've been there uh, a few times during the legislative session. There was a hearing that they were interested in, and uh, there was an event out on the South Steps. Those are the big front steps of the Texas Capitol. Uh, And Caitlin Gonzalez... Uh, is one of the survivors. It's, it's tough to talk about, you know, people who live in our own state as survivors of a massacre. But that's the case. Um, uh, little Caitlin was speaking out on those front steps, and she was basically saying, Jeremy, that because she made it out alive with a massacre in Uvalde, um, she's there to speak because her friends don't have voices anymore.
1: He opened the doorknob. He banged on my door. He shot at my door, and a bullet went over my head. I heard, I remember hearing my best friend's screams. And
0: Caitlin Gonzalez is
2: too young to lose so many friends.
1: I shouldn't have to be here right now, but I am, because my friends don't have a voice no more.
0: On Tuesday, raised the age! Texans stood with her. To say others are too young to own the
2: firearms that killed her classmate.
0: That's Ryan Chandler reporting for KXAN Television in Austin. Now, some of those families confronted the head of the Department of Public Safety, Colonel Steve McGraw. He was uh, at a hearing. Uh, he was trying to leave the room there at the Capitol. This is a little hard to hear, Jeremy, but you can you can t- you can just you can sense it from the families how frustrated they are that, to the point that you've made over and over again, they still don't fully know exactly what happened there. Uh, on that day when some of McCraw's officers were just standing around doing nothing. I I think at the end there, you could hear uh, one of the relatives of one of the victims saying, look, Colonel McGraw, if you could just talk to me for five minutes, I'd really like to be able to sit with you. That audio, by the way, uh, is courtesy of uh, Acacia Coronado at uh, the Associated Press. Jeremy, these families have really in a lot of ways, and I think you see this through their social media and through their appearance at the Capitol this week, they really do at this point feel completely forgotten
1: yeah it, it was good to have that reminder on Tuesday I was out there during that rally uh, and it just ripped your heart out but it's good for that to happen for us to all remember you know this is happening every day in the, the the heads of these people who had to go through it most notably the children I've talked a lot about like how like the frustration in the in the 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 feelings that a fourth grader would have, you know, even surviving that, you know, knowing that their friends are dead. And that's what we heard in front of those capital steps. Like just a reminder yeah. that little children uh, who survived that are never going to be the same, you know, it's just like, and I think we don't, we're not talking about that enough. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm not saying like there's going to be more mental health process or whatever. It's like, what I'm saying is like, we need to show these people that we are hearing them and that we do care still. And that right. like you know, I, I'm, it's not going to necessarily you know make uh, make it into gun control or whatever else, but there's still mm-hmm. things we can do to kind of you know be human about it and just you know reach out to these people and kind of show them some kindness and respect, and mm-hmm. that, hey, we're here for you, whether our politics agree or not, it's like we're here for you, yeah. there's a way to do this, and I just hope more people can do that.
0: Well, and I think from a policy standpoint, you do hear from Republican legislators and staffers that they do have uh, a genuine desire to do something meaningful, substantive about school safety. Now, what that means exactly, I don't think that we've seen the full shape of that just yet. I mean, I don't think it helps to have Lieutenant Governor Patrick or Senator Cruz, you know, quoted on television and everywhere else talking about it. Well, they're just, you know, there's too many doors at the schools. It sounds ridiculous to people when you have high schools that have, you know, thousands of kids at them. It's not going to work, you know, having one door. Um, and, 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 you know, some of those high schools are multiple buildings because of how many kids attend, uh, some of the school safety measures that are talked about, uh, are really just sort of, uh, I, you know, forgive the phrase, but sort of shooting from the lip, right. And, and trying to come up with anything, uh, that sounds like something that would be uh, a school security measure. Um, I was asked on television in, uh, in Houston on Fox 26 this week, they said, well, what about gun control? Because you have, uh, Carol Alvarado, one of the state senators uh, from Houston who has proposed, uh, some gun control measures. These are limited things, and as I have said from the beginning of all this, it seems like Texas, and look, Texas Democrats are a different breed from national Democrats, right? National Democrats would want to see more of a full gun control crackdown, right? Our Democrats are asking for the basic, basic things. This isn't, you know, seizing guns from people, going and, you know, not anything like what Beto O'Rourke talked about when he was running for president. And again, that was in a national context, right? And also in the context of the shootings happening in El Paso and in Midland, Odessa, he talked about, you know, the, the, you know, a mandatory gun uh, a buyback program. Um, but asking for red flag laws, asking for um, raising the age, it's the bare minimum that could be done. And when they asked me about this uh, on television, I said, look, it, none of that's going to go anywhere. In the Texas legislature. It's a Republican majority legislature, a Republican majority state. Uh, And of course, they are, as we have said many times, first and foremost accountable to their Republican primary voters. They said, the reporter said to me, Well, you know, what about when there's another massacre? What about then? Will there be any consequence for that? And I said, Well, those kids all got slaughtered in Uvalde along with their teachers. And if that doesn't change the political calculus of all this, I don't know what, and it hasn't. I don't know what would, right? Can I ask you about uh, the developments on this uh, bill to uh, keep certain people from buying real estate in Texas? Uh, there was a hearing this week. Uh, Lois Culkorst actually said, and I saw this online, she said that she was reading the comments on your story, the comment section on your story of the Houston Chronicle.com, and that helped her change some of her proposal to keep Chinese nationals from buying real estate around here. What, what was the deal?
1: Yeah, the, the, uh, people remember this. You know, uh, Originally, her bill was to ban all Chinese citizens from buying any land in Texas. That ran into a problem because you had green card holders who are legal US, you know, residents who would then be barred from, I don't know, say buying a, a condo near their grandchildren and things like that. And so, so she recognized that was a problem <laughs> uh, after a lot of rallies in Houston <laughs> and in Austin. And of course, a lot of the stories that we wrote at the Houston Chronicle. Uh, so she revised that bill and she's now trying to make it sure that make sure that green card holders in all of this, you know, the four countries she's named, uh, which are Russia, North Korea, uh, Iran and China will mm-hmm. still be able to get, uh, uh, have a chance to buy land. So that's going to be, you know, that mostly applies to Chinese citizens. You know, we do not have many green card holders uh, from North Korea, as you can imagine. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> that said, it's like, you know, she's clearly made some attempt to make the bill better. Uh, although the critics are still very upset with just the general tone and tenor mm-hmm. of it because they feel that it's still kind of feeding into an anti-Asian uh, hate potential mm-hmm. uh, that I think, you know, we're coming out of COVID. You know, like right. folks like that, you know, like you can imagine kind of the, you know, the reactions some people have had in the, you know, the community down there, uh, you know, really making it sound like somehow the – the, the, the Chinese community or Asian communities in general are somehow responsible for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a terrible thought, but that's kind of what was happening in real time. And so here we are just kind of feeding into that potentially. And I think that's what's caused some of the pushback. And I think Cocourse Course is trying to find a better lane on this at this point.
0: Yeah, uh, so we'll keep an eye on that. Um, remember earlier this year, we introduced you to – and I thought about doing profiles of freshman legislators – you know the, the, here, here are some of the you know new faces, the fresh faces at the Capitol. We introduced you to a new flamethrower from Tarrant County. Tarrant County always brings it for the flamethrowing conservative Republican legislators. This gentleman's name is Nate Schatzline, and we told you about the fact that he wanted to ban certain drag shows in Texas. He's real upset about. It. This is what he said uh, back in January.
2: What's going on, everybody? This is Representative Nate Schatzlein, and I am excited to announce that we have just filed our first five bills. And I want to talk to you about one that's incredibly important to me, incredibly important to our district, and incredibly important to Texas. And that is our Family friendly drag show band. Be on the lookout. It's HB 1266, and this would effectively outlaw family friendly drag shows, which is already an oxymoron, from the state of Texas.
0: Now, I didn't add the post Malone music in the background there. He, he, uh, <laughs> Shat's line, he put that in. His social media videos—he puts different songs under all of his videos, and I'm not always sure if the songs really go with what he's saying. He's talking—he's talking about trying to protect children, and we're hearing—is that that's the song "Circles" from Post Malone? Um, of course, Post Malone grew up here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, right? I think his dad ran the concessions at the Cowboys Stadium or something like that. Um, so at least that's some Texas music, all right. In the meantime, a video surfaced—you can't make this up, Jeremy. He's upset about drag shows. A video surfaced this week of him cross-dressing in a park with some friends years ago. And there was an account on Twitter called Living Blue TX that promoted this. Um, and I think this music uh, was added to this video by someone other than Shatzline. He didn't choose this.
1: Your body crazy, you will be my sexy
0: yeah, so you, <laughs> you you see where people went with this automatically. He's a hypocrite. He, he wants to crack down on drag shows, but there he is wearing a dress. And what he said was that, no, 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 no. This was just something that happened in school years ago and that his friends did this on a dare. Now, once again, there's music in the background because this is his thing. Um, I didn't add any of this. This is, this is, this is straight from the wild of Twitter. This is uh, Nate Schatz's line explaining why he, as someone who wants to get rid of drag shows, th- th- this is him explaining why he was dressed in drag.
2: It has been an interesting week, a very interesting day, as left-wing news media has done exactly what they do, and that is twist stories to be something that they're not. Look... The left wing is attacking me because of some class project I did as a teenager where my buddies dared me to wear a dress. But we're not going to let that distract us from the real message of what we're trying to get done right here in the Texas legislature. And that is ban sexually explicit drag shows.
0: So he's got Dr. Dre there in the background, which, Jeremy, I like his taste in music. Honestly, I like. Yeah. I I mean, it's good. I like uh, Post Malone. I think he's great. I like uh, Dr. Dre. Ah, uh, you know he could use some Texas rap instead. I mean, like maybe UGK. And if he doesn't like Port Arthur, he could just go with a Houston artist. He could do uh, for example, uh, Fat Pat. So I get where he's going with saying that he wants to get rid of sexually explicit uh, programming in front of children. Why not just do that? Why not just leave the drag show part of it out, Jeremy? And this is what I have heard from some folks, and it makes a lot of sense to me. And did you know that the Arkansas legislature, they're not liberals at all in Arkansas, believe me, they just elected Sarah Huckabee Sanders as their governor. Um, They started out in their legislature working on some kind of elimination of drag show Uh, bill, uh, and where they ended up with it is instead of saying that this has anything to do with people who are cross-dressing, they just said, hey, keep kids away from sexually explicit material. And when you do that, you start to gain democratic support for something like this, right? In fact, why not just do this? And I may have mentioned a version of this before. Instead of saying you want to go after drag shows or drag performers and anything that has to do with attacking the LGBTQ community why not just have a rating system for these things? I mean, I, I think that it's probably a violation of some current law already if you're falsely advertising what the performance is going to be. If you say that it is supposed to be family-friendly and then it's not, it's sexually explicit and you've got four and five-year-old kids there, then the parents have every right to be upset about that. But if you had a rating system for some of these performances, like you do at movies, we say, okay, this one is rated G, this is PG, this is rated R, um, and then parents have some expectation of what is going to happen when they walk into the performance, then the only people you could be mad at are the parents for taking them to the thing, right? So why not have that? I think that it's a a much more productive discussion that way. So we'll we'll see where they get with this. I don't think that the Speaker of the House and the Lieutenant Governor are going to necessarily come to agreement about this. The Lieutenant Governor has talked more about the drag show stuff. And you have the Speaker talking more about curriculum in schools. And you remember at the beginning of the session, Speaker Phelan had said that what he'd like to do is make sure that first graders aren't hearing about sexual identity in class, that that's the kind of thing that would upset him. One other thing here before we go, Beto O'Rourke is taking issue with President Biden over some of the administration's actions on the border. What was this?
1: Yeah, he was on uh, the Axe Files with David Axelrod, the old uh, uh, Obama-era advisor, Uh, Mm -hmm. and they were talking about uh, Joe Biden's new app program that allows migrants to apply for asylum on the phone. You know, to keep them from coming to the border. So they would essentially have to remain in Mexico or in whatever country they're fleeing in order to apply for asylum. And Axelrod asked him about
0: that. Yeah, here's what uh, Beto said.
1: I mentioned the political
2: dynamic of this, which is consistently a loser for Democrats. But I, I don't think this is the right answer. Um, you know, um, use this app um, to make an appointment. Um, We're turning you away at the ports of entry because of Title 42, Um, a really cynical use of a public health provision in the law Mm -hmm. that is frustrating people's attempts to lawfully and legitimately claim asylum in the United States of America.
0: Jeremy, as you were listening to that interview, you made note of the fact that there's really a disconnect between somebody like Axelrod, who – I mean – to his credit, he's a political genius. I mean, he worked on the Obama team in the same way that um, the Karl Rove is a political genius. I so think the two of them have a mutual respect, by the way, that's pretty cool. Um, you know, Rove got Bush elected president twice, and a lot of people really thought – I mean, the first, the first go-around in 2000, that was tough enough, you know, when it all came down to Florida, the recount, the, the Supreme Court battle, and all of that. And then the 2004 environment in which Bush was able to win when <laughs> – it looked like it looked like it was going to be dicey for him um, against John Kerry, but Rove got that job done as well. Um, but someone like Axelrod, who comes from Chicago, talking to a guy from El Paso about immigration and border security, they're almost not even speaking the same language in, in parts of that interview.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's one point where Axelrod only gets a little combative in it, where he's like pushing back on uh, – you know Beto you know saying like look we have to do something about the surge right you know and, and you know and, which sounds very Midwestern right there's there are people crossing the border down there and shouldn't you do right. something to stop it you know and Beto's like look the, you know these people are, are fleeing for their lives <laughs> we can't like make them stay in Venezuela as they're starving <laughs> and then apply on an app <laughs> it's like and you can just hear it in this thing where they just kept interrupting each other well mostly Axelrod interrupting you know Beto was trying to make his point. Uh, you, you can almost see why you know Beto works. Name's not coming up so much <laughs> in the uh, mm-hmm. in the Biden administration as somebody who might be yep. able to join the administration. <laughs> uh, I, I'm thinking th- that you know, look, you know, Biden went to El Paso to roll this right. thing out. Beto was not there. You know, he did not, you know, there was no public, you know, you know, uh, showing of Beto saying, you know, this is a great idea. I think there was now after hearing this interview, I'm starting to understand why that was more the case, right? <laughs> it's a good time for Beto to kind of take one of his hikes, you know, out in the wilderness like he was doing.
0: <laughs> well, and that, I, I guess that is what he was doing. Maybe he will have another one of those, uh, websites, uh, one of those blogs where he describes his dreams, which end up in... <laughs> political ads, would, which were pretty bizarre. Um, you know, on the on the border issue for the Democrats, he, it, I will say this for Beto, he's right. This, it just never accrues to their benefit politically. It, it, it is always tough for Democrats to talk uh, immigration and border security and what needs to be done uh, on the issue. And look, it's, it, it's, it's one of these issues where there's not a great political incentive for the Democrats to really fight hard for the rights of people who can't vote right we've, we've talked about this before, and on the republic and that's that's bad enough and then on the Republican side, I think it's even worse because it's it's to their benefit politically it certainly has been to beat up on those people to demonize those people to uh, you know but to basically make them political pawns uh, in this game I mean you continue to see where they're holding these hearings down on the border that they they're going to what are they going to uh, try to impeach the Homeland Security Secretary, because he's supposedly not tough enough on immigration. And, you know, this is the same administration that when, when, when all those Haitians were down there on the border, they flew him back. Right? Yeah. They, were, they, were, they were going right back to the old deporter in chief thing, which is what Obama got tagged with by liberals, by Democrats when he was in office. Obama deported more people than any president up to that point. Right. And And of course, what did they still say about Obama? that you, uh, he was a liberal, open borders, uh, you know, uh, one, one world government kind of person and all of that, you would think that at some point for Democrats like Biden, and I think Beto's kind of trying to make this point, if Republicans are going to say that anyway, no matter what you do, then why don't you just do the right thing on it? right like have some balanced approach rather than trying to do everything through all this increased border security which really doesn't get us any more security it just makes some people feel better
1: yeah that's probably on mark you know it's like most of the stuff that you know we've done at the border probably for the last 20 years is mostly just to make people feel <laughs> a little bit better Not Yeah, say, it doesn't look, do some, anything some measures you know, probably have helped but but generally you know when especially when national people are talking about when when you know david Afferrod in chicago is talking about he's talking about something that just isn't in his daily life. And it doesn't, it almost, like, look, the numbers are down. Like, to drop from 50 to 20,000 is significant Mm -hmm. for him or something, I guess. You know, but for us, it's just different when you live in Texas and you have these people coming across. And and if you see their faces, you're like, boy, do I want to really send that 12-year-old back across the river to the Mexican cartels? You actually have to ask that question, (laughs) you know, if you see that kid. You know, it's like versus, no, no, just keep him out. Make them make him go get an app somewhere.
0: <laughs> Ridiculous. Um, all right. Well, that's enough show. Appreciate the report from Houston. I'm wrapping up, signing off here from Dallas as we span out all across the great state. However, you listen to the show. And you know what? I don't care how you listen to the show. People people want me to weigh in. I had some people say is it better to listen on Spotify or Apple? It doesn't matter to me how you do it. Just just hit the subscribe button. That's the only thing that matters to me. Hit the automatic download button, right? That's what they should do, right, Brandon? Hit the automatic download button if you can because then it's just right there for you on your phone when you're ready to listen. Subscribe at quorumreport.com, houstonchronicle.com, and we will see you next time.